and what a joy to be able to do this. So mm. I I do feel gratitude, you know, it was a big thing just to get to this point and say, yes, I can afford in all that that word means to do the PhD, but I'm here now. So yeah. enjoy that. That was the voice of Leanne Sobel, the guest on this episode of The Knowledge Mill. I'm your host, Greg Yoakum. Leanne is a strategic designer, researcher, and educator. Her work draws on design practices to investigate complex problems and deliver strategic outcomes. Leanne has a background in visual communication design and management. Her career spans design management, corporate strategy consulting, design education, and research roles. Leanne is currently undertaking a funded PhD research project at UTS, the University of Technology, Sydney, investigating the role of design in strategy. Previously, Leanne worked as a senior strategic designer and researcher at the Design Innovation Research Center at UTS, having joined the team from her time working in strategy consulting at Deloitte. Over the course of her career, Leanne has worked on consultancy projects with both public and private sector clients, including the Department of Defense, Australian Human Rights Commission, iCare, NBN, Legal Aid NSW, Westpac, Qantas, and Telstra. Leanne brings her knowledge of design practice to consultancy engagements along with her research and education background and is an experienced workshop designer and facilitator. Leanne and I have a common research interest in design and design thinking. Despite this fact, we did a fairly decent job of preventing this episode from turning into the design thinking hour, although your mileage may vary. When we sat down late last year, Leanne was working toward her stage two assessment. In the UTS Business School framework, stage two is typically a check of the candidate's readiness to go into the field and collect data. However, and as she discusses here, Leanne had already begun her data collection and was, through her grounded theory approach, in search of data saturation. In the weeks following our conversation, Leanne successfully completed her stage two assessment and she is now working toward completion of her PhD. This episode of The Knowledge Mill was recorded in my office at UTS on November 23, 2022. Show notes, including links to more information on some of the topics that Leanne and I discuss, can be found at theknowledgemill.com slash episode two. That's episode and the numeral two. Hello, Leanne. Hey, Greg. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. It, <laughs> sounds, good. it sounds legit, doesn't it? It does. It's very <laughs> legit. <laughs> uh, pe- people cannot see, but we have a very legit setup with, with two very high-end microphones. I've been uh, enjoying playing it, and I feel like I'm about to bust out a tune, but I will <laughs> refrain. <laughs> uh, how did you find yourself doing your PhD? Well, there's a bit of a background story there. Uh, it, I didn't come to it uh, overnight. It was a very lengthy process of consideration and talking to lots of people and thinking through how I would be able to study a PhD. Uh, but the longer story on how I got to my PhD was that I studied a Bachelor of Communication Design straight out of high school. And that set me off on a direction in my career where I was really interested in the way that design, so in communication design, another way of talking about communication design is graphic design. So Mm -hmm. I learned that type of discipline of design. And with that kind of background, the, the, (laughs) the conversation always was for, uh, graphic designers that the client would give you a brief 
and the brief was always just not quite hitting the mark in terms of what the client needed. And so the designer's job was always to make sure they did their homework to understand what the problem was that really needed to be addressed. And the output for that was going to be some sort of a graphic design solution. Mm -hmm. So I got really interested in that process of the design uh, practice. And so after I finished my degree, I wanted to move closer to business to be able to have those sorts of conversations in a design context. Didn't quite know how to get there, but I found my way into design management. So I still loved designing and being a graphic designer, but I knew that I could probably have a greater impact in helping to shape the briefs and work with designers and get the problem uh, addressed or problem framed in the more in in a better way. Mm-hmm. So that really motivated me, and so I followed this career trajectory where I was um, learning how to work with designers and business through client management types of roles in design agencies, um, and I worked in design education for uh, for a while. So uh, then, then I, long in that period, long came this concept of design thinking, which I felt really captured the potential of design in the way that I understood it or the way I had been exploring it in my career to date, um, but applied to a non-design context like graphic design but rather two really complex business problems. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was working in an industry role at a gorgeous design school called Billy Blue College of Design. Uh, And in that um, school, I was an industry industry liaison manager. And so I used to look after all of the industry engagements across design disciplines. Mm -hmm. And one of the projects that I managed was a uh, production of a a journal called the Be Between Journal. And we decided one year to look at this phenomena or this emerging topic of design thinking Mm -hmm. and explore the implication for designers. So in that particular school or college, college it is, uh, we had a really strong focus on industry and being industry connected. So we were really interested in seeing what were the emerging developments and the ways that we should be changing our curriculum in response to that. So by looking at design thinking, we were really interested in understanding, well, what does this mean for the way that we teach Mm -hmm. design students? So, <laughs> this is the long story, Greg, I promise. Um, <laughs> That's what I wanted. <laughs> so, cue uh, the production of that journal. Uh, we invited a, an array of con- contributors who had written on the topic, including the well, uh, well-known, well-renowned uh, academic scholar, Roger Martin. Mm. One of the grandfathers of... Design, design thinking, <laughs> and his colleague Jennifer Real to write, and they agreed to write for that journal. 
in addition to other contributors from around the world, including uh, practitioners here in Australia, some from UTS. And uh, those contributions and those discussions really prompted me to think about the relationship of design to business. And for me, I had, because I had come from a design education background, I had learned uh, pretty effectively by that stage the language of design Mm -hmm. and how to have effective conversations with business about the value of design. However, all of the conversations at that time were leading to this point around designers in order to have a, a seat at the table need to learn the language of business so as to have more effective conversations about the intersect of these two disciplines and where the opportunities could be. Mm -hmm. So I decided to leave my job and study a master's of business management to learn the the language of business. And that really changed my career trajectory. And I studied um, my master's at Macquarie uh, Graduate School of Management. Mm And I did all of the MBA subjects, but to finish that course, I, there was no course at that time that brought design and business together. There wasn't a design thinking course out there. Mm-hmm. And this was around 20, 2011, 12. Yeah, right. The early days. The early days. So you know design thinking as a concept in in management really the rubber really hit the road around 2009 mm-hmm. it had been discussed prior to that but there were um, a lot of publications around that time that were really starting to talk about it tim brown roger martin um gene leadka and others so if you look at the trajectory of publications yeah. <laughs> on a scale, it kind of hits, it hits the, it starts heading towards the ceiling around that point and, uh, and so it, it continues. Uh, but of course now, nowadays, design thinking is just on the menu yeah, for that's right. every leading business school, including ours here at UTS. Mm. So Entire subjects <laughs> dedicated to it, in fact. Entire subjects and across disciplines too, which is fantastic. So uh, the scene has clearly changed, but at the time there wasn't that option for me. Mm -hmm. And so I opted to take on a research subject to be able to develop some sort of contribution, but also round out my management education. So uh, that was a fantastic project. And I uh, ended up doing a thesis on that explored the role of design thinking specifically in Australia Mm -hmm. and looking at the implications for not only business, but for the design industry as yep. well. And from that point, having completed that, I uh, spoke to my master supervisor, the fabulous Lars Groger, and he really encouraged me to consider doing a PhD at that point. Mm-hmm. However, I just learned the most amazing things in my <laughs> management education, and I really just wanted to get in and practice what I'd learned yep experiment at the intersect of design and business and see what I could do. Mm-hmm. So um, I finished that course and my husband and I ended up taking a year abroad. Yeah. We called it cultural university. Yeah, nice. I think when, you know, when you're living in Australia, it can feel very isolating. And I think for us, that felt like an important rite of passage to go and live and work somewhere else. Sure. And 
we um, we decided that we would do that in France. Oh, nice one. <laughs> so, so my master's education also coupled it with a bit of uh, learning French. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I didn't know any French um, at that point, but we quickly had to learn. <laughs> so we we took a year abroad after that, and in that time, I was writing up more research um, or you know publications, articles off the back of my research, mm-hmm. really, in uh, collaboration with Lars, and we had a few pieces out there and a lot of interest. And I knew that, particularly from Australia, I think Australia really represented or represents to me a very young, dynamic, interested, um, opportunistic nation. And I think the idea of something like design thinking really, um, really took off. Mm. It 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 has the space and capacity to kind of try new things. So I was watching this happen abroad. We had a year away, year visa. We had to make a decision whether or not we would come back and at the time we could have stayed in France but there was just so much going on here I just felt the need to come back and Mm. start to get some runs on the on the board in industry practice so I I I was still being kind of the carrot was there to apply for a PhD I had the opportunity to do that as a transition from my master's but um I was very determined to have that practice experience. And so that really, coming back to Australia, really was transformative for me. I ended up getting into consulting. Mm -hmm. So place-based strategy consulting. So by that, I mean looking at the way that people use uh, and experience spaces, environments like shopping centers like universities Mm. um, like parks playgrounds anywhere where people commune and anywhere where places want to interact with people with a company called place associates uh, who are now called brickfields consulting and i worked there in a my first sort of proper strategy role bringing design and strategy together um producing strategic recommendations in this in the place sphere and from there I got into consulting uh, with the, one of the big four and I had the opportunity to use my design experience within the strategy and operations team within a consulting team and the whole purpose of my arrival there was to bring my design designerly ways of working and practices into that team Mm. and so that became my first proper role where I was teaching design thinking to non-design design traditional design practitioners and seeing how we could integrate that into consulting practices with clients so the learning curve was big for me because suddenly it was right in and practicing all of the the things that I had been acquiring over the years mm. in in not only a external way, so not just in the way that I would work with clients, but also internally. So thinking about how I would uh, interact with and work with my colleagues and teams and teach what it means to work as a designer through the lens of design thinking. Mm. You were applying 
design thinking methods to design thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you were thinking about the end user when you were. Yeah. So it was, it was both. Yeah. So it was both client facing and yeah, internally. So it was, it was, it was great. And I got to work on some fabulous projects where we did that. It was human centered design based. So using the design thinking practices, tools, methods, um, to really put customers. So our clients, customers first Mm -hmm. and do really deep user research, understanding their needs and then developing recommendations strategic recommendations on how uh, those clients might go forward Mm -hmm. so that was like an an example of an external external job Um, and internally it might be internal training so looking at how we teach the methods the mindsets around working in a designly way as design thinking and what year was this now this was oh you can test me now (laughs) (laughs) this i have to think to when my first son was born and then i go backwards uh, so it was about 2014, 15. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So by now, design thinking has some legitimacy. Yes. It's out there. It's out there. And all of the consulting, um, the big four are really investing in design thinking capabilities. Uh, the team that I was associated with was um, called Design Visualization and Storytelling. Okay. So it was an, there was an internal sort of design capability building team that did inward and outward type work and um this was typical you know i was talking to other practitioners elsewhere and the experience was similar in other of the other big four some more advanced than others uh but also in having done the 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 thesis the study in my master's back in 2011-12 i noticed a big leap in the investment in human-centered design capabilities Mm -hmm. within corporate Australia. So that also really took off. So it wasn't just, I mean, that's why also, I guess, consultants were were doing more of that because also industry was getting more involved in that. So there were lots, lots of teams being stood up with design practitioners or design thinking teams and incubators and labs. There was a lot of experimentation around what was the most effective way to be able to bring design thinking into organizations to better serve customers, to innovate better products and service, more appropriate products and services for customers. Mm -hmm. And also, yes, again, thinking about teams internally, how can we improve our organizations through a human-centered design lens? So that really took off. And I don't think that stopped. Uh, I think now it's much more of a, a commonplace the ne- the question now is where to from here yeah <laughs> uh, so um bring it so this brings me to where and how uh, i got to phd mm-hmm. and um and uh, my my experience so i ended up having my firstborn mm-hmm. around that time and uh, at the end of uh, at the start of 2017 and after that, I was still really interested in the world of research and writing, but working in consultancy just didn't afford me that, that opportunity to do that sort of work. And uh, when I was coming back to the workforce, I came upon an opportunity here at UTS to work at what was called the Design Innovation Research Centre. Yep where uh, it was a practice practitioner space a consulting space um, research center that worked with clients so we had lots of lots of different types of clients from different types of industries where we 
specifically brought design and design thinking or another a method design method called frame creation to our clients to help solve complex social innovation challenges Mm -hmm. wicked problems wicked (laughs) problems and it was a wicked team um and i worked there for three and a half years yeah right and that role was the place where PhD came up again. Yeah. I mean, where else will you one be foot better was placed? All the way in the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one foot was well and truly in the door. And <laughs> my career conversations certainly were, well, you know, your 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 trajectory here is, you know, you're you're at the you're a professional, paid professional here in this context. And the next thing is for you to become an academic. So to do that you'll need to do a PhD, which means this. Mm. <laughs> so, but the truth is I had, I had when the, the opportunity was put to me to, to undertake a PhD after my master's, I had it in my mind that I would love to do one one day. I just didn't know when. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was just about when the time was right. I hadn't anticipated to be doing a PhD with two small children around. <laughs> I, I didn't think that that was really a feasible option. However, here we are. Yep. And uh, the PhD came about because one of our, um, we had a client project come up. I'd been on maternity leave for my um, second son mm-hmm. and with my second son, I should say. And uh, I came back and I applied for a PhD role, which was associated with one of our projects within the center. Right. And I was successful at that. And so I did all of the thinking about how I could afford to do a PhD and what did that mean in terms of balancing that with kids in in uh, arm in toe Mm -hmm. in all the things (laughs) as kids do and um financially how could I afford to do that and support wise what was the best uh did I have all the right supports in place was it something that I could do with my family unit backing me and uh you know the network was already established I already had a fantastic supportive network of colleagues here at UTS that I knew would really help me. Uh, they, that really helped me in my decision-making, I've got to say. So, and then the other really key thing, because we're in Australia and daycare is so costly, and maybe that's the case <laughs> everywhere else, but just being able to afford to do a PhD based on childcare fees was a huge thing. Yeah. Um, often often it's the parental guilt around time with kids which is all which also plays into it of course Mm. you know i I don't want to trade off that your kids are only small once but i'm just so grateful that the university has a childcare facility on campus which provides affordable childcare fees um and that in and of itself plus i have a um i was fortunate to receive a scholarship um which i know not every phd does get but that and though the discounted childcare has been what has allowed me to do it. Yeah. So I'm sure there's lots of, you know, young women. <laughs> Can I call myself young? I don't know. I'm going to put myself <laughs> in that category um, who would like to do a PhD, but just simply cannot afford to do one. Yeah. For yep. all the cost reasons, right? <laughs> well, and that's where, to your point earlier about the way things were going in Australia. Yes. That it was, I don't know if it's been a moment. I've only been in Australia since 2009. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, the same time design thinking started taking off. But since I've been here, it has felt like a moment 
where there is the money for scholarships. There is the research training program that waives the tuition uh, for most, if not all, domestic PhD students. Yes. Uh, Discounted child. They make it, not only do they make it easy to do it, they actually make it, it could be your job. Yeah. If you were, if you did have a bit of support and uh, and you were careful with your money, you could do it without any additional teaching or anything. Yeah, it is possible. Whereas in some countries, just absolutely not the case. Not the case. You're, you're out of pocket, and everything's more expensive. Yeah. 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 It's and it's such a consideration. So um, I do feel very grateful for that. Um, so in terms of how my career trajectory relates then to my PhD that I'm currently undertaking and the topic that I'm undertaking. I I was fortunate to be able to look at the topic of the way design thinking and human-centered design can be used to develop new products and services. And we had a project that was designed to do that with a client. And my PhD specifically was going to look at how the organization looked at those key design findings and recommendations and integrated that within the organization. So I've always been interested in the intersect of design and business and having worked in strategy for some time could see that the recommendations that would come forward from design thinking projects, human sensitive design, service design projects, often had strategic implication. There was a intersect into strategy, but for me there was always a question mark on how those recommendations came to be mm. integrated in strategy or not. Did they influence strategy? Did the way that we produce those new products and services uh, from a capability point of view, did that any of that learning stick within the organization? So my PhD was going to look at the way that that project in and of itself as a bit of a capability uplift with the organization and also in terms of the product of that work in developing a new product and service product and service and or service doing that deep uh, human-centered design research and provide recommendations how that would then affect any change within the organization so it became a question of strategy mm. Now, as PhD projects have a habit of doing, (laughs) um, the project changed shape again Mm -hmm. as I got into the literature and also the project that my PhD project was associated with. So there's kind of two projects going on here. It also has changed. So I'm now just focusing on the role, exploring the role of design and strategy Mm And I'm not just focusing on that within a set organization. I'm looking at it more broadly. Yep. So I'm currently having interviews with people defined broadly as strategists and those broadly defined as strategic designers who I would say are people like myself who have come from a design education, who've segued into management, business management and strategy or uh, business business managers who have learned intensively design thinking practices mm. versus traditional strategists and business managers, executives, etc. So I'm really, as far as getting into the, getting design and the seat at the, at the table and the C-suite, I'm kind of at that pointy end where 
design uh, may or may not exploring the way design may or may not inform strategy, its relationship to strategy, specifically looking into practices. So I'm looking at the way that strategy is made, mm-hmm. not the substance of the strategy. Yep. So looking at the way that people work together, the kind of way the strategy is formed, so what kind of activities are undertaken to get to the point where a strategy can be articulated and then looking at the way that the material aspects of strategy come together. So do objects get used? Is it just PowerPoints? What are the material ways uh, of production of strategy um, as it might relate to designly ways of working? So in this instance, I've kind of exploded the idea of design thinking and well by that I mean expanded it (laughs) outside of the remit of of design thinking Mm. the design thinking theoretical base that currently exists to going back to my roots not just my roots but the roots in design and design theory yeah to really um critically examine what it means to work in a designerly way and on that point, can I hop in there? Yeah. Could you just, for the listeners who may not know, just talk about what you mean by designerly ways of being, of working? Yeah. So um, it's it's uh, that's the million-dollar question, basically. <laughs> uh, so we're going to need another three hours. <laughs> and maybe we should uh, rename your podcast. No, look, to, the, the, simple, the simple answer to that is that Designers uh, tend to work in a, a, a in a an exploratory way, so that is, they might get a brief, and they might initially just spend a whole lot of time just going, "That's nice. That's a that's a that's a good brief." But I just need to go and validate that. Is that the right problem we're solving? So, you know, if I even if I go back to my traditional graphic design roots, what that would mean is I get a brief from a client. And then I need to go and do my own research to understand the problem. So I, I get a good a good download from my client about the nature of their industry, the nature of their problem, the nature of their customers that they want to try and um, impact or have some influence or engage with. And then I might go and do my own desk research or go and speak to some customers just to try and and also maybe some other people within the business, just to really understand the nuances of that particular challenge that has led them to that brief. So then from there, it's about getting that problem really well defined. So a a lot of work is done in that front end just to kind of explore uh, the problem space mm-hmm. in inverted commas, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, and, and so that that's often what is is um, you you know characterizes a designly way of working, yeah. and um, also ca- also really well articulated by the UK Design Council's Double Diamond, right? Yeah. And so that first stage of looking at the problem is the first diamond. So the uh, in extensive exploration is also called the, diver- the divergent thinking. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and converge and you really closely defined, define that problem. Yep. So that whatever you are designing uh, is going to hit the nail on the head. You're not designing for the wrong things. Yep. And the second part about that, I would say, is the way that the ideas are generated. So lots of lots of creative kind of avenues. So exploring lots of different ways of solving a problem, 
leaning into the complexity, looking for the tensions, looking for the, the, the issues within a problem that don't match, don't mm-hmm. seem to have any way of coming together, but trying to design a way through that. Yeah. So bringing in other people into the room and making sure experts, um, uh, you know, you're testing your ideas and thinking as, you, as you're starting to round out your design and then you're producing something that is new or um, going to particularly answer to that brief. So mm. that's where the, the idea of innovation comes in because you're going to design something that uh, is, is, has not yet necessarily been designed to address the problem in the same way that it has before. Mm. Because of, of course, those, of course, those first few steps. So, uh, so it's, it's all down to the process. And I think usually the, the flip side of that in terms of a different way of working in management is just solution first. Yep. Let's go, let's go in We've you know, we know we need this, we need this new product. Yep. We've, we've, we, we know we need to address this specific market. Um, we need to get sales up a certain percentage. Let's, let's do this sort of thing rather than actually going, well, what's the problem here? What's going on for the, the customers? Yeah. What are their needs? Uh, what are the things that are meaningful to them in their lives? And looking at that problem from a more emotional human perspective. Um, and I think the tendency in, as humans mm-hmm. <laughs> is to be, and, and particularly in business, is just to kind of let's get into solution mode. Yep. So that is, that is, when I say working in a designly way, it is in shorthand that way of exploring the problem mm-hmm. or in short way of describing. Yeah. That's something that I encounter with one of those subjects that we teach on design thinking here. Uh, it's just human nature, right? As soon as you start thinking about problems, you immediately start thinking of solutions. And there's been that many times that, that undergrads who are going through the design thinking process, or I'm, I'm starting to steer them into the design thinking process, uh, you know, I'll come along and say, well, well, how's it going? Maybe they're looking at a problem in the event management space. That's one of the, the majors that, the, that they would study that subject. Uh, how are we going? Oh, great. We're, we're talking about putting together an app. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's take about a hundred steps back. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to design an app. That's yeah. just a, that's a really great example. And you know, sometimes an app is the right solution, mm. but let yourself get there because it's not the coolest thing that everyone's engaging with. Yeah. I think the, I don't, I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I think think there's a high proportion of um, startups who put put out their apps, and that doesn't end up being. Yeah. Um, you know, what the customers need. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's not just startups. Maybe it's more businesses. I think startups have a, have a better success rate because they're doing their, their uh, human-centered design research more often than not. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing that's interesting and to make a slight distinction from what we now know as design thinking, because design thinking is often articulated as a set of methods. So, you know, you go, yep. you know, you define the problem, you de- just, you know, discover, sorry, you discover the problem, define the problem. Um, then you go and uh, come up with new ideas. It's all about, you know, coming up with all sorts of different avenues for how you can solve this problem. And then it's about validating. Um, and so delivering that particular project, mm-hmm. it, it, it comes across as quite methodological, but in yeah. reality, it is highly iterative. It is far more exploratory. It is far more expansive as an activity and it is far less linear and more um, 
oh, you know, you have to lean into the uncertainty of that process. So yeah. hence why I'm so interested in the practices side of it and the mindset side of it. So what you bring to it is as a, a human in the way you think through the problem mm. um, because you have to be really comfortable working in that way. Yeah. And that's sitting in that uncertainty and being willing to explore new uh, avenues that may not have been explored before mm. and having patience, being reflexive about where you are in the process and working with others, making sure you're bringing people in at the right time to kind of get the expertise expertise so it's quite this it's this highly fluid activity and i think for some reason design students are taught to do that inherently in their work it's very highly iterative and exploratory and i think that's why design thinking as a kind of education pathway or as a subject within management has been so useful because it often management um students aren't taught to work in that way it's usually yeah. go process very process driven do step one two three four so the risk with design thinking when it's packaged up as more of a methodological um approach is that it can be seen as being step one two three yeah. but the cautionary note is of course it's not like that at all it's ne- it was never meant to be expressed like that mm. in addition to the other a design discipline um, uh, aspects of designly ways of working is looking at the way that design products and services uh, attach meaning for people. So the way that people um, emotively um, make uh, or, or attach to a particular uh, product mm. or service and, and what that means for their lives. So it's like thinking about, and this, this comes from Roberto Viganti's work, um, shaping, you know, new products, new innovative products often don't come from what people think they want. It's more to do with how you can turn around uh, and shape new meanings for people in how they interact with and use products or services yeah. to serve a need or solve a need. And the other aspects of it, having spoke spoken to a lot of designers over the years and read a lot in this space, is the aesthetic of design. So designers are focused on not only creating really effective, usable, functional outputs, and I mean that across disciplines, but they also consider the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So design thinking doesn't tend to talk about those aspects as much, but they're very much a part of a design practice. And so there are questions about how effectively, say for example, if we come to this topic of strategy and design, how effectively or, or what what aspect or what function does aesthetic and effectively communicating strategy have in relation to design? Yeah. If we think about it like that yeah. and attaching meaning. Um, often in, in management, we talk about storytelling and, and being an effective storyteller, communicating effectively as a leader. Mm. And that's often what designers are tasked with by understanding the deep human needs and meanings that people attach to things. So there's a lovely intersect there. It's just the relationship of design at that strategy end hasn't really been explored to that extent. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of work um, either as sort of design thinking professionals or as service design teams or as... um, um, you know, design, human-centered designs, you know, um, 
groups within organizations and they're producing all these recommendations so i think there's just questions around where and how it goes and the relationship there so that really um and for me in my time working with the strategy teams i think there was an inspiration to look into that a little bit more but as i've gone into the phd space there's clearly a need to start to articulate what this means and also another new, another concept I'll introduce to this <laughs> is the rise of um, strategic designers. Yeah. So I would now call myself a strategic designer and how I came to be a strategic designer literally came out of speaking with a bunch of other designerly people like myself, designerly person. I, I call myself that because I've come from design discipline. Yeah. Um, and we all kind of saying, well, we're working in this consulting space and we, we know we're affecting strategy in some way. Are we design strategists? So traditionally design strategists are the strategy folk who help to define the strategy behind a design outcome. Mm-hmm. Or are we, and that's usually in like agency practice. Yep. So the design strategists will do all the, they'll do that deep, Um, strategic business work with the client and understanding their problems and they'll tend to shape up the narrative and the directions for the design team to then go about designing their their um, final outputs they they translate the uh, business objectives for the yeah the designers yeah and they'll often (laughs) they'll go and have a look at you know trends and all that sort of stuff so but it's within that agency design context that's usually what it is and when I was first in um, was doing this work with consultancy, I was calling myself a design strategist. Right. And a few of us were. So this is, this is we were at the emerging end of the practice space, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so we literally just had a conversation about, well, actually, are we design strategists or are we strategic designers? Mm. And at that point, it became clear that actually what we were doing was much more related to strategic. So we were designing strategy. Yeah strategic design rather than the other way around so it's kind of like looking at where are you pointing the design output yeah to and so instead of it being instead of it being graphic design or uh, product design what we are what we seek to produce as an outcome is some sort of a strategy Mm. or strategic narrative you know so it's some sort of strategy or some strategic recommendation based on the designly work that we're doing yeah and that is an interesting intersection, yeah. Uh, because the way that, as you've been as you've been talking through this and about designerly ways of thinking, what uh, what listeners don't know is that I also did my PhD on design thinking, so I'm I'm swimming in these waters with you. Which is why uh, it's so lovely to be talking to you. <laughs> well, that's where we're at risk. In of addition, the, the design thinking hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the there were, there were two kind of things that popped up to to me actually. Uh, with designerly ways of thinking, what struck me as someone who did not have design expertise, I had, you know, I was, I studied economics in my undergrad. Uh, I worked in management for a while in retail, and then I came to the MBA, and I've, I've just been the business side through and through. But I appreciated, I think I first encountered, I'm not sure where I first encountered design thinking, but I think it was in one of my MBA subjects. Uh, and it appealed to me instantly uh, because. I, I did not like the rigidity of inductive or deductive approaches to mm. using past results to inform future strategy. I thought that was really 
boring yeah uh, for for lack of a more sophisticated word uh and so that that drew me to it and then i so i was learning about the design side from research and there are concepts out there about defining designerly ways of of being or working uh or even designerly thinking and it struck me how there is that I mean, that's why we have design thinking full stop, right? Yeah. Because what designers do, if if we wanted an organization full of people who could do design, we would start a design firm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there are benefits to using elements of design practice. And I think in the early days, uh, maybe design experts, design practitioners, maybe uh, saw the cherry picking of design techniques that were then repackaged into those step one, step two, step three design thinking models mm. as being almost insultingly reductive yeah. <laughs> in terms of what they do in practice. Because what was lost was the designer, you spoke before about translating a brief, doing desk research, exploding the problem, putting it back together. Mixed up in that is the individual designer's experience. Mm their life experience, their own reflection on, I'm doing this now to solve this problem, but why am I doing this to solve this problem? And what yeah. does that tell me about the nature of the problem and therefore the nature of the solution? And that, I could have done three more PhDs just on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a really important point too. You know, it's contextualizing the placement of design, the individuals who are designing. There is no one individual who's the same no matter what kind of practice that you're doing and this is this is part of the problem of of design thinking too like if you think about the different disciplines of design there are inherently different practices that are attached to those whilst the kind of productions tends to stay the same there are differences in Mm. in the focus of of practice so I think that's really important and also um, when I was talking about the aesthetic and meanings and that that quality of design there are some people who don't want to be working at this intersect of design, strategy, strategic design, business. It's just not their forte. Their yeah. forte is in the craft of design and that is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. It's to say actually this way of working is inherent in every design practice in different ways, you know, that dial up the the, the um, dial up the tone on some aspects and not others. I think, and that's totally fine. It's not to say one's better or worse. It's just uh, that there is opportunity now for designers to work with business in this way and there's a call for it. And I think it's really important to make sure that we clearly can start to uh, unpack what that means, Mm -hmm. what those practices look like, what's working, what's not. Are there limits to this idea of what is design thinking? What has become design thinking? What is next? You know, we've, we've been here for a while. Um, you know, what else shapes effective design practice at that strategic end of business and management? Mm. So, yeah, it's a really good point that you raised there. And it's further to what you were just talking about. There's also this idea of the uncertainty orientation that designers have. Yes. Uh, which differs from many managers in the sense of designers encounter uncertainty and they've arrived yeah they, they know they're in the right place now, yeah. now we're on to something yeah whereas managers traditionally encounter uncertainty and avoid it delegate it 
look the other way. <laughs> or sol- solutionize it. Uh, or solutionize yeah. it, yeah. Uh, and so that's, you know, it, that, that again is that intersection that you're speaking to, and I find that really interesting. Yeah. Do you think uh, the, the ongoing trend toward more non, non-profit objectives even within for-profit enterprises, so the kind of the triple bottom line. Mm. Uh, do you do you think design thinking uh, can contribute in that way, or do you think maybe that trend has contributed to the rising popularity of design thinking? Mm. I think it's it's a really interesting question. It's fascinating if I think about how others have recalled some inherent qualities of designers, and one of those things is about having an impact or um, doing the right thing by people. So it's not always the case, you know, the, the, the criticism of designers and, and Tony Fry writes this up really well in some of his work around um, designers needing to develop a redirective practice um, around developing sustainable products and services. Like we can't just go about doing design to make new things, to make stuff. We have to actually purposefully redirect away this consumption cycle Mm. so there is a there's a kind of collective consciousness that designers have to develop a lot of designers are thinking like that but i think it's also something that is having to um you know designers are having to be uh you know thinking about it educated new designers coming up are being educated or, or taught about that as being part of practice and i think design practitioners in industry also have to somehow if it's not, if those questions aren't coming up in practices, in practice, they're having to become a critical questioner. So someone who comes in and says, "Why are we designing what we're designing here? Do we need? Does the planet need this?" Yeah. <laughs> Basically, so if we, if we look at it from a design practice perspective. I think that's a really, really important question, and I think uh, it's emerging. You know, circular economy is very much part of the vernacular, yeah. um, and sustainable, sustainable materials and things like that. But um, in terms of strategy, I think what's really interesting if we think about designly ways of thinking and working as a sensing mechanism, so how we sense the way that the market is changing and consumer sentiment, public sentiment, stakeholder sentiment, there are some pretty significant market forces going on Mm. that are saying to companies, you need to change or we'll walk. And that's not going away. If anything, and the pandemic has accelerated it. That's right. That's right. And and so I think where and this is probably this is part of what my PhD is is dipping into a little bit. I'm I'm, I'm following a grounded theory approach, so I'm waiting to see what emerges in mm. terms of people's practices today. And part of that is the emerging nature of this. And we're now at a point of, of crisis around sustainability. Um, but also not just that, social justice, um, equity, mm-hmm. inclusion. Um, and you see that that the, the trends are changing in business. There's a force there. So this idea of design and design thinking or human-centered design plays into that really well because it's looking for those human needs. Mm-hmm. It's looking for those um, deep um uh, yeah, the deep um, concerns that people have and the way that that is defining how they make choices. So I think I think design ha- has a, you know, 
design and design thinking can play a really big role in trying to sense those and address those in a way that is proactive um, rather than reactive in response to markets. Mm. So I think that's one thing. And um, I think also that the complexity is part of it, right? So organisations are having to not only change a little bit but completely transform. So the beauty about adopting designerly ways of thinking and working is looking at for that expansive, exploratory way of addressing very complex, uh, fast-changing, market-shaping, industry-shaping changes. Mm. And so uh, those sort of ad, let's, uh, I want to refrain from saying agile, but yeah, <laughs> different methodology. I don't yeah, mean it like that. Can of worms. I mean, I mean, exploratory, agile, um, reflective, yeah. iterative way of thinking and working um, provides the opportunity to, you know, test quickly, look for different ways of, um, um, you know, developing products and services that traditional practices may or may not, um, you know, be as effective. So I think, I think that is, and I think also even within the startup and entrepreneurial space, design thinking as a way of working is sort of just inherent, which is really interesting. Um, and of course, a lot of those startups are looking at solutions in the sustainability track. Um, but the, 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 the criticism of design thinking is it doesn't really, it p- puts the human at the center, but it doesn't put the environment at the center. Right. So that's something that, uh, going back into design practice because design practices are already doing this and say, saying, okay, right, if we don't call it design thinking in the traditional sense and we look at the designly ways of working, what practices would be or could be applied if we think about it from an environmental sustainable lens? Mm. Uh, and there's, you know, concepts going around around life design or, um, you know, uh, environment-centered design and things like that. So I would say watch this space, but I think it's looking at design thinking and maybe it's not called design thinking in the traditional sense, but it's mm. looking at those design practices that really support positive, effective change that addresses some of these really complex and important societal and environmental issues. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And that's, I think, something that w- that has been a thread through this whole conversation, but maybe we haven't said it explicitly is that even if you employ design thinking in your practice, be it the Stanford D school model that you pull off a shelf and you go through it one, two, three, four, five, uh, maybe you bring in external consultants to run you through a workshop like that. And you do it that one time that can still have, and this is where you come in with your, with your connection to strategy even if that organization never did design, never sat down and did those five steps again, mm. it has the potential to change their thinking and orient it in a human-centered way. And maybe they localize the the techniques and the mindsets rather than the process itself mm. into their current practice in a way that, yeah, could influence strategy, could influence the way strategy is communicated and constructed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you bring up a really interesting aspect of design thinking and I touched on it before, but the design thinking mindset, which I've done some research on Mm. with my uh, colleague, led by my colleague here, uh, Jochen Schweitzer and Lars Groger. And we have spent some time interviewing uh, 
design innovation leaders here and in Germany and articulated a group of attributes that tend to make up a design mindset. Mm. So the reason why articulating a design mindset is important is that you can what we what we learn is that you can roll through the design thinking process a bit methodologically sort of one step two step but unless you come to that practice in yourself with an attitude of I might need to change my thinking I might need to look at how I currently do my work as a person and maybe think about how design thinking or designly ways of working might be different from the way I work, Mm. then you're not going to have that change really. You might, so on one hand, I'm all for people learning about about design thinking as a way of kind of expanding, um, um, you know, personal toolkits and ways of thinking and working for, for better, for the better, right? But the, the, the criticism is that, by doing that and not thinking about what you bring to that practice, you just snap straight back to your everyday yep. way of working. <laughs> and that it, and it, it sort of like becomes this workshop experience and we did lots of post-it notes and we kind of came up with heaps of ideas and then did it stick? Yeah. Does it, you know, and, and does the organization encourage you to be that person on a day-to-day basis? There yeah. are all these influencing factors, right? So um, we found that unpacking those mindsets has been really useful for people to just start to think reflexively about what they bring into practice a little bit more proactively and start to review what that looks like for them in their work day to day so that if they encounter this design thinking workshop, they might start to go, oh, the reason why that was so interesting from a design perspective is it actually challenges the way that I work or think. Mm. And hence why design thinking has been called design thinking is it tends to be a different way of thinking. But of course, in practice, it's more than just thinking. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's, it's a way of working and being and approaching um, challenges. So we found that in teaching design mindset, it's really opened people's eyes to how they can understand the design thinking methods and start to to think about how they shape their practices ongoing the way that they by practices i mean the way that people work the activities the flows of activities um on a day-to-day basis the routines that you have the way you interact with others and, and material objects and things uh, and that even comes down to how you produce prototypes or visually communicate your your ideas things like that so yeah i think i think uh it's there's there's a lot of different angles to look at the opportunities for design but i'm definitely i'm not one that criticizes criticizes design thinking so much to say it's been useless it's it's a useless experiment i actually think it's got a lot of credit Mm. we need to be able to unpack um, different ways of working and thinking in a way that people can then digest yes so i think that's one of gene leadka's um uh, you know, um, rebuttals to the criticism of design thinking looks like just, an, you know, a method. But for people who aren't familiar about working in a particular way, it needs to be broken down so much so that you feel like you can try it out. Yeah. And so I take that argument 
but I also take the argument that says there's a risk there that the ma- you know the magic I don't, I don't really love to work <laughs> use that word but the the essence of a designly way of working is lost if it's just seen as a one two three four step yeah, process and then you're done you know it's actually yeah. much more about being in the problem so what you bring as a person how you think through a problem mm-hmm. how you are okay with spending more time in research and just jumping with to the solution, having patience, mm. not being as maybe p- potentially financially driven about yeah. coming up with solutions, actually saying we can, yes, financials are important, but that's one aspect of it. Mm. And last year's reports are one thing, but if we're going to develop something that's really set for the future, that's going to do really great things for our organization our customers for the planet we need to be thinking more expansively than just that so it's it's uh, an all-encompassing way a way of being i think is probably the way to i would sum it up (laughs) (laughs) i think we could keep talking for a couple of more hours but would you believe that we're almost at the one hour mark now okay uh but i'm we're going to talk again anyway yes uh, because you're halfway through we're roughly halfway through aren't you you're in you're in the data collection analysis immersion stage yes yes i am and i'm, I'm surprised i can speak to you right now it's <laughs> cognitively challenging but it's actually a real joy to be at this phase of the phd mm. i must say this is when yeah the the rubber hits the the road is it it really it, it really is uh, but strangely it also feels like just a different mode so i've 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 had to adjust from being in the literature and writing on, you know, what is my topic about? Where's the research gap to now getting my ethics application in? So very procedural, yeah. uh, writing up on my method. And then suddenly you get the ticks and it's like, right, jump into the field. <laughs> and then you sort of, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm realizing I'm morphing into this different type of uh, experience on a day-to-day basis. And I'm just having to find my feet and adjust again Mm. i've been involved in research for some time so i'm used to this phase Mm. but for some reason i don't know it just feels it feels different the the intensity and also i'm doing a grounded theory study so it's involving me being in my data whilst also collecting data and you know making sense of it so i think that's why it's quite intense yeah yeah that's right but but fun at the same time you know it's when you're done with it you'll you'll reminisce fondly <laughs> yeah but, uh, when I used to be able to just immerse myself in new ideas yeah and, and what a joy to be able to do this so yeah. I I do feel gratitude you know it was a big thing just to get to this point and say yes I can afford in all that that word means to do the PhD but I'm here now so yeah. enjoy that and I remember having conversations with my bosses um, at various points about doing research and really wanting to do that and just not being able to, you know, because it's all about billing and clients. <laughs> um, not so much in the research centre, but in consulting and um, being able to, to do research work is is, um, is such a great um, experience. So you're... you're done with what we, here at UTS we call stage two. Uh, oh, stage, I'm about to do stage two. Oh, you're about two. to do stage yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm working towards stage two. So stage two uh, is right around when you've you've done your ethics, you've, uh, you're have you about to, if not, have already started collecting data, which you've done. Yeah. Uh, and then stage three will be the, the final tick 
Yeah. Uh, are you doing your thesis by compilation or is it a traditional thesis? It's uh, It'll be by compilation, yep. which will be interesting for me because, of course, how I get to my compilation parts will come from my grounded theory work. Right. And I'm not working from any kind of hypothesis. So what I write about is yet to be determined. Mm. <laughs> TBD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that'll give us lots to talk about in a in a future episode. It will. And look, I've had 12 interviews so far and I have really rich accounts uh, around the practices and mm-hmm. perspectives and experiences around the intersect of design in strategy or the role of design in strategy. And so I know there'll be plenty of good content <laughs> to talk about, uh, but my interviews are only one part of my study. I've built in there some observations and also focus groups mm-hmm. and additional uh, interviews for validating, validating any concepts as they go through. So next year is going to be about um, looking at how I can collect those data in those other settings. And it's going to be all about data collection and then writing up. So, yep. yeah. Well, that leads me into one of my last questions for you is what is on the horizon for you? You'll be working on all of this, yes. uh, but will you try to publish before you finish the PhD? Or are you looking at going to any conferences or anything like that? Yes, so I would like to publish if I can throughout my candidature, and it'll just depend on timing and and how we can make that work. But that's certainly part of the plan. I think everyone's pretty pragmatic in my supervisory panel. Mm about how we can get there so it just depends on what comes out in the data and and what's around but as as far as that's concerned really the conferences that i'm hoping to go to in 2023 will be egos and the uh, academy of management in uh, there i think they're all around sort of late later in the year, June, July, August. Mm. So that's what I'll, I'll be aiming towards. So yeah. We'll just see, uh, see where it comes, how, where we get to. Yeah. I've got to uh, I'm getting all, oh, I've got to write those abstracts. I've got to write those papers <laughs> and I've got, well, I've got to do that in the next sort of so-and-so weeks. And so, <laughs> oh yeah. gosh, I'm suddenly anxious. No, it's all right. We'll be fine because um, I've got a whole bunch of great data already. But that's the plan. And then... Hopefully, I will be completed in 2024 and on my way. Nice one. Yeah. To a, uh, a career in academia, you said. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. Everyone wants to know what is my career direction, but I'm quite proud of the fact that I've been very much an industry on one foot and mm-hmm. an academic on the other for all of my career. Yeah. So I started working in education for a bit, I, you know, in the Billy Blue College of Design, then I went into industry and then I came back to education and I've always guest lectured and then to segue into research roles and supporting academics while I was working in practice because I was interested. And I think there's that's a really important role to play at the intersect of industry. And I know universities are working really hard to find ways to be closer to industry to collaborate more closely with industry and so for me however i work i hope to be able to work at the intersect of industry practice and academia and also across disciplines particularly at the intersect of design and business Mm, brilliant you might even end up yeah carving your own role there carving your own niche yeah between the two why not yeah 
If it doesn't exist, try and make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the last question that I like to ask everybody is, could you tell us about something in your life right now that's not related to the PhD that you're excited about? I'm really excited about watching my two boys grow. Also frightened <laughs> by how quickly it's going. So when I started my PhD, and I'm not meant to talk about my PhD, but Kit, who's my youngest, was one. Jules was three. Mm-hmm. And we just hit the pandemic and suddenly Kit is turning three. Uh, this weekend and I'm just looking at these kids going wow it's going so quickly but there is such joy in watching them grow and I also love the fact that I go to school when my kids go to school that's fine yeah (laughs) and I put my backpack on and (laughs) so I love that and I'm looking forward to our next chapter as a family post PhD because I'm hoping that we can travel again hopefully things have opened up a little bit more so we can venture further afield and apply that same idea to what my husband and I did after I finished my master's and have cultural university elsewhere and continue to develop our our, um, knowledge of the world and and uh, shape our practices um, and our our uh, experiences accordingly now extending that to our children so i'm looking forward to that and whatever is to come Mm, that's brilliant i'm excited for you (laughs) (laughs) thank you again very much for for doing this this was great thank you so much for asking me to have a chat with you greg it's been amazing we'll do it again yes please